The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. I'm sitting with John Lehman. Time to welcome this week's data guru. Welcome, John. Hi, Seema. Nice to have you here. I know that you have a very, very interesting background. Just tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are today. So my background started off in the traditional brand and advertising agency business. And I worked in the United States on a bunch of bunch of big brands like Campbell's Soup and General Mills and Federal Express and things like that. Um, went to China for a couple of years, worked with Anheuser-Busch, Johnson & Johnson. Um, then came back and started working on in another area, sort of the digital CRM and media um, space, worked with Microsoft and Procter and & Gamble and American Express doing different things in the digital and media allocation, media planning space. Bringing those two things together, I got into the, C- the uh, CMO gig, uh, worked at Fresh Direct, was the CMO cool. there, uh, really learned a lot, fantastic, yeah. amazing company, amazing industry. Um, and then have done CMO consulting through my company, True Customer Group, since then. So fantastic. companies like FTD Flowers, Verizon, others. Great. Uh, I know that you are talking about a hot topic today at the conference, why the C-suite is petrified of yes. attribution. Yes. Tell us more about that. I love so, the title, by the way. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, we tried to write, write a good subject. Yeah. Um, well, I think the C-suite is always interested in optimizing the business. Right. So um, there's a lot of money that goes into marketing. Mm-hmm. And when you they also, most most people in the C-suite respect that marketing is an investment, not a cost. Right. And so there's a certain amount of return happening with the marketing today. And so when you talk about radical changes in how you do your marketing investment, it's scary. Yeah. Because they're not always sure that it's going to be an improvement and you can't go backwards and undo it. Right. Once it's spent, it's spent. And so I think they're concerned. It's not visible. It's not easy to figure out how this optimization analyses and analytics tools mm-hmm. work. And so they're just concerned. They want, they want the benefits, of course. but they're not sure how to get there, which one to pick. Are you finding that people are taking baby steps or are people making big bets? Well, I think there's one step you have to take to get into the game, which is an enormous step. Right. You have to actually have a, 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 an attribution solution. Sure. Okay. And so for half the companies, half of the fortune Mm -hmm. 1000 companies, the top 1000 companies don't have anything, believe it or not. That's crazy. So their first step for them is huge because they have to figure out something to do in the first place. So they have to get their data situation, people situation, all this stuff going for the first time. So the first step is tough and they have a lot of choices and people are positioning all these, everybody positions their product as the solution to all that. Right. And so it's very difficult to pick which one is really right. Right. Um, for the other half of the companies that already are using something, usually you're, they're using marketing mixed modeling. Right. And so then the big decision for them is, what do I do with that data? Right. Like, do I stop looking at it? What if the ROI for TV says it's a $4 ROI with one tool and a 
six dollar ROI right. for another one. Right. Which one's right? Right. And you know, do you, do I cut the cord on one? Do I? Yeah. And so the, to, to them, it's sort of a paralysis of, you know, how do I how do I enter into a new realm while not completely throwing away the old thing? Right. Plus, I've been telling finance and everybody else for mm-hmm. years and years how supposedly accurate or inaccurate this is. Now what? Right. Seems like culturally, companies have to change in terms of being able to accept mistakes and experimenting and trying things. Are you finding that to be true? I definitely agree with you. Yeah. Um, is it happening? That's the other question. Is it happening? Yeah. You know, I, I think the bigger the company, yeah. especially if it's publicly traded right. um, and the more conservative the company's business is supposed to be like Procter and Gamble, I've worked with Procter and Gamble stock is supposed to be like buying a bond. Right. It's supposed to be one of the safest stocks sure. there is to, to, to make. So those guys do a lot of test and learning. Right. They don't do a lot of big bet fit. Sure. And so other companies are somewhere along the continuum between being like a, you know, like a government bond and being like Amazon right. startup, which is, does live through, live up to its ethos on not being afraid to fail. Right. I, I think most companies, especially if they're older, are more afraid to fail, um, especially in something that's large scale. And the investment that it takes to go into something like MTA, right. if you don't have the people or if you don't have the data set up right, is non-trivial right. and you have to make the case for all this investment for something that is risky yeah. in their minds. And then there's always a laundry list of things to do that supposedly are not risky and those things compete the best in money. How, so let's say you don't have a solution in place. Yep. You're, you're the other half, right? Yep. You haven't picked a solution. How does somebody go about doing that? How do you, how do you actually approach that? It seems like such a audacious goal or topic to address? So I think there are a number of ways to do it. Sure. Um, you can insource your own talent to figure this stuff out. Okay. Run an RFP and go meet with everybody and try to figure out which one feels right. right. I, did a, I did a marketplace analysis for an MTA client a few months ago and just to understand how the landscape works. And what I found was that unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, most people make the decision based on kind of gut feel of trustworthiness and gut feel of intellectual capability of the people they're meeting with. Because I think a lot of the checklists look the same. Everybody says they do everything and everybody says their data is the most amazing data there is. And the reality is is the first party data that you, the client provides is usually the critical data. And so, and so, and there is a lot of third party data that's Mm -hmm. equally available. So it's probably true that they're not lying when they say it's, Awesome data, right. but it's probably just not that proprietary. Right. Um, so you can do it yourself. Yep. You can hire a consultant, mm-hmm. um, somebody that's fast and cheap and customized like me. <laughs> or you can hire a company like Accenture, right. a whole group that does this sort of thing. And okay. they, they would probably help you with a lot of the ancillary um, data integrations and implementations, which will not be inexpensive. Um, and there's everything in between. Gotcha. Now, if you're not on the Fortune 1000 list, mm-hmm. are you finding... And maybe, I don't know if you can speak to this, but actually let's take your example of Fresh Direct. You had a ton of data there, right? People buy online. Um, You're shaking your head maybe. Yeah, we had a lot of data about transactions. Right, but not necessarily about advertising and its its effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, the growth from that company is about getting new customers. Right. So I don't have a lot of data on customers. Gotcha, okay. And then, then you're into the marketing and media environment, so that's the data that everybody has. Right. And then you've got, you know a big competitor in Whole Foods. Right. So I don't have a lot of data about what they're buying in Whole Foods. Gotcha. Because they're buying it offline. Right. And that data is proprietary, even if they are buying it online now through Amazon. Right. And so I think to me, the data that you need is not always as easy to get as the, or the data you want, right. the data that's out there. 
Um, if we did a lot of work with segmentation mm -hmm. and market sizing, and we did a great job of figuring out who our prime prospects were and gearing our business around to that those. Best, those best customers right. versus any customer. Sure. Then here in New York City, when there's a blizzard out in January, every customer loves fresh bread, <laughs> right? Yeah. But the best customers are the ones that are still going to shop in July. Right. And so figuring out how you gear your store to be something that that person will be delighted in and will tell other moms with kids, right. oh, I couldn't live without I fresh buy, bread yeah. in July. Those are the greatest customers. Gotcha. And are you finding that the emerging companies are already thinking about attribution as they continue to grow? So, you know, we have kind of the companies that have been around for a long time. They, they've done certain things a certain way. The risk is greater to adapt and kind of pick uh, different attribution models. But, you know, let's talk about the newer companies, the ones that are really electronically based, like I think about pure Netflix. E-commerce pure. Place. Exactly. Are they already in that mindset of kind of understanding attribution or yeah. is it much of the same? I think they have an optimization mindset. OK. And that's good and bad. So right. And there's no question that one component of, of attribution is optimizing what right. you're doing. But they don't necessarily have a broad-based expand your marketing model mindset. Gotcha. So like a PG has an incredibly wide scope of marketing channels and marketing and go-to-market strategies from all different roles of channels from uh, category building to brand engage awareness mm -hmm. to brand engagement to loyalty to repurchase, all this through things. And a lot of a lot of new companies focus a lot on their initial burst of acquisition. Okay. And that initial fury of heat right. comes off when the company's brand new. Right. And then they try to replicate that yeah. over and over. And the reality is that you can only really be that hot once. Right. Like, you know, Netflix was great. It's like now Netflix is Netflix. Right. So, you know, I just heard in the conference earlier today that the those companies are among the fastest growing TV advertisers. Yeah. And it's like if I'd have told if I'd have gone to Netflix ten years ago and said, hey, you're gonna be a big TV advertiser, right. it's like you're crazy. Yeah. We're gonna crush TV. Right. Where people don't want to watch TV. And now they're using it as a method. Well you get to a point where you can't grow anymore right. without adjusting to different audience yeah. types or different go-to-market strategies. Right. And so I think the st smaller startups tend to be more limiting in their scope of of opening their minds up to newer, broader um, horizons in the communications and marketing area. Yeah. And they focus so much on optimizing the stuff they've always done. Right. That they could be a little limited. Yeah. Self-limiting that way. I always find though, when you're a startup, you always need like an enemy. You always need a target. So yeah. I'm going to crush them. Yeah, and then, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, we have the same problems everybody else does. Um, hey, the law of large numbers can be a challenge. <laughs> yeah, for exactly. Once, at some point when you're a startup, you're, you've started up and you're yeah, big. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit. You know, we've talked about a lot of different platforms of advertising and tools that marketers use. You know, give me, give me your perspective in terms of a platform that you might feel like is under, underutilized, if you will, in terms of reaching customers or advertising. A, a marketing channel or a technology platform? Whatever. I mean, you know, there's, everybody keeps talking about um, the fragmentation in the marketplace in terms of where advertising is going. And, you know, I was listening to the local radio or New York radio and yeah. the, the, the DJs are like, radio still counts. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, um, I, I think, to the example of radio, um, 
the uh, the reach that radio is getting is enormous, and I think a lot of people tar that tar that medium with yeah. the brush of television, of broadcast. Right. Broad television audiences have been declining. The people that generally watch the most television are sitting at home without a job. Right. My mom. Right. Seventy nine. Yeah. Love her. Yes. Seventy nine. She's got way too much time to watch Fox TV and. Um, and there are people that are out of work right. and they don't have anything to do. Whereas right. radio is the opposite. Almost everyone who spends the most of the time listening to radio right. is driving to and from their job. Right. Um, outside of Manhattan, that is the norm for the radio user. Right. So the audience for that is enormous. The, the data plans and everything else are still significant. So people are not streaming radio in the car right. predominantly. And the, the penetration of satellite radio is still very small relative to um, regular radio. So it's, it's funny that like radio, radio is an unsexy medium yeah. that a lot of people have looked past, but in an era where you're trying to get high millennial, yeah. high employment quality reach in the mid nineties. Right. Um, and a low, and it's, since it is unsexy, the yeah. inflation of the cost of that media has been nominal. Right. Any. It's a really great under, undersung hero. And I think a lot of companies have not looked at it, but it's starting to, I've noticed with P&G and a few others. It's coming back. It's starting to, the secret is starting to get out. Yeah. And I think there's um, there's ample reasons to yeah. why you need to get it. Now, the next challenge on radio is you need to pay some attention to the quality of the creative. Right. Use. You can't just throw the soundtrack for your 30 second TV commercial. Right. And expect it to work like that. Yeah. Um, it requires some craft, but radio creative is way cheaper to produce too. So That's you should true. be able to exert the effort and the money on getting great writing and great production, mm-hmm. but the cost will be so much lower. Mm-hmm. You can do lots of different creatives for lots of different formats, lots of different markets. Lots of different people, and it can be really, really. So you don't think life. podcasts uh, are cannibalizing uh, radio listenership? I think they are a little bit. Okay, I think they are a little bit, but I think that people still listen to the radio that's in their car. Yeah, and there aren't a lot of broadcast podcasts, yes. and I think people like the personalities that are on yeah. the radio stations in their towns, and, and the they banter, like local and, news right. and local talent, yeah. and local traffic, right? And a lot of those things are really pertinent to that moment. And right. so we've, what we're seeing, I've done some some consulting for a radio company is the ROIs for radio are enormous, particularly for anything that relates to being buying it on your way to a store, yeah. which is still 98%, sure. 96% of what we buy. It's still in a store. So it can be really powerful that way. Oh, that's great. Well, I really appreciate you chatting with me. It's been fun. And uh, I always like to wrap up a show with a silly question. Ask away. Um, what has been your favorite consulting project my favorite consulting and and why i would say and why (laughs) so i did a really great consulting project for verizon okay which was to help them understand what kinds of creative things they could do with all of the assets within the verizon okay it was a really engaging amazing consulting project it helped they had it was a company that has so many different assets from customer bases on cable TV to wireless Verizon wireless customer bases to the data that's flowing into AOL um, to all the different billing contacts that they have. It was just such a rich platform of different ways to go to market. Um, That was probably one of the most fun individual consulting projects I've ever done. That sounds like a lot of fun. John, thanks so much for chatting with me today and uh, data gurus stay tuned for the next episode. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to data gurus podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show.
You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.